This morning we will be um, reading from Romans chapter 8, and we will be reading from the English Standard Version. I um, invite you to read along with me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the needs of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. These three weeks, this being the last one, we are seeking the Bible's guidance for looking beyond COVID. We're not through the pandemic entirely, but we're getting there. We're getting there as a society, and we're certainly getting there as a community and as a church. And we praise God for that, but there are still concerns, there are still disagreements, there are still fears and doubts. So how do we regroup and recover based on the wisdom of the scriptures? That's what we're doing, and we're going to conclude that today. Since Jesus Christ is in the business of restoring and rebuilding what's been broken, and that was part one, and since we find among his people a safe environment to grieve and to rejoice at the same time, that was part two, then, and this is today, then we really must overcome our fears and doubts. We really must overcome what we're afraid of and what we doubt in order to move beyond, in order to continue forward. When we think of fear, I think a healthy definition is found from the the psychologist Dan Allender and Bible scholar Tremper Longman in their book, The Cry of the Soul. And uh, they, they, they discuss all human emotions in that book. And when they get to talking about fear, an unhealthy fear that is, they describe it as our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. You look at a situation or at somebody and you realize you're ill-equipped to deal with it or deal with that person, and so fear comes. And they describe describe it this way, that fear is provoked when the threat of danger, physical or relational, exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. Sometimes the what might be a who, who we most deeply cherish. There's an old movie from the 1980s It's set in Brooklyn, New York, in an Italian family, so I kind of relate to it. And um, it's it's the movie Moonstruck. And in this movie, Rose and Cosmo are an aging couple. Cosmo is afraid of dying. Rose is afraid of something else. She senses that Cosmo's cheating on her, and he is. And throughout the whole story, she's bent in anxiety and grief. She's sad, and she's bitter, and she's afraid. But when she's given the chance herself to cheat on Cosmo, she doesn't do it. 
And the reason she gives for staying faithful to her husband is this. She says, because I'm married. And then she says, because I know who I am. And she finally gathers the courage to tell Cosmo to his face, stop seeing her. And he does. He stops. Now, I think that what gave Rose, and maybe you can put yourself in a scenario like that, or you know somebody who's lived through something like that, but I think in that movie and in that story, uh, what gave Rose the courage to overcome her fear and her grief and her bitterness was identity. She knew who she was. She was grounded in her identity. And today's passage from Romans chapter 8 reveals the core of the Christian's identity. What does Romans chapter 8 verse 16 tell you if you're a Christian? It says, we are children of God. And I'm telling you, It doesn't sound practical, but it is very realistic, and it maybe is the most important thing you hear out of the last three weeks as we move forward past this pandemic, is if you're a child, if you're a Christian, you are a child of God. This is the fundamental truth about your existence. Vince Lombardi used to tell his pro athletes, gentlemen, this is a football, every year. They knew that, but he would always bring them back to the basics. We're bringing ourselves back to the basics today. It's a basic that you can never forget. You're a child of God. If you're not a Christian, and I'm glad you're listening or I'm glad you're here, this is. This is the fundamental aspect of true humanity that you are lacking. You don't become a child by God just by being born. You're a creature, and you're God's beautiful creation made in His image. You have such dignity and value as a human being, but you're not his child apart from his work in your life. And and I'm going to invite you into thinking about that today. It's the one thing, it's the fundamental thing that you lack as a human being. I suggest we move beyond COVID with this principle guiding us and guarding us, the concept of adoption as the New Testament describes it, as Paul highlights it in Romans chapter 8, God's adoptive love helps us recover. Knowing that you are loved by a God who says he's your father and will never kick you out of his house, that is what helps us recover from our fear and from our doubt. And I want to talk about that status of being an adopted child of God, the status of the children of God, And that status, that status, if you will let it, leads to certain types of habits that change our lives, that help us move forward beyond our fear and our doubt. And finally, there is an assurance, or let me use the word confidence, that you can have as God's child to get through this life, whatever the challenge, whatever the threat, whatever is is daunting you. So the status we receive as children of God and the habits we must develop as his children and then finally the confidence or the assurance that God's children can know every day to overcome fear. So the status of God's children is a given identity. It's not earned. It's not something you can earn. It is given. This is what's unique about Christianity. 
That status is a gift. We don't earn it. Chapter eight of the book of Romans is one of the most glorious, you know, it's one of the mountaintops of the New Testament. Uh, some, uh, I know some of our women in, in one, of the, one of our community groups have been, have been working through, struggling through the book of Romans this year. It's a, and, and chapter eight, it's kind of like you finally can breathe. There's this, all the tension releases and you can breathe and go, oh, this is amazing. This is where he was leading us. Chapter eight is glorious and it compares, hold on. Chapter eight compares two types of living. It compares life in the flesh, flesh not meaning muscle and bones, this is theoretical, flesh meaning the old you, what the Bible calls our sinful nature, original sin, the part of us that, that, that even though we've been rescued and forgiven by God, the part of us that still opposes him and struggles against his will for the world and his will for us. So chapter eight, the first uh, 11 verses, compares life in the flesh with life in the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. One way of living, living by the Spirit, leads to life, Paul says, no matter what we suffer now. No matter what we suffer now, no matter what the cost, living by the Spirit leads to life. On the other hand, Paul says, the other way, living by the flesh, leads to death. No matter how successful we're doing, no matter how comfortable and happy we are. Living by the flesh leads to death. That's the comparison. And then we move into our passage, and today, because of the lack of time, I just want to, because Paul is dense, I just want to focus on verse 15. We'll talk about some other things, but primarily verse 15, Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. He's saying, I want you to live by the Holy Spirit. Don't live by your flesh. And this is the reason. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Sons is an important word. It means those who can inherit in the ancient society. It means men and women. We're all a part of that, okay? So, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father, the Aramaic word Abba, meaning daddy or papa, a rich word of endearment um, and intimacy, and then, and then father, Abba, father. Let's talk about these two spirits, the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. The spirit of slavery, and I think the old pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones was right, um, the spirit of slavery is the initial ministry of the Holy Spirit to you. Remember a time in your life where you knew you couldn't live up to God's standard and it absolutely petrified you? You couldn't please him enough? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, showing you God's requirements, showing you his good, perfect, just law, and condemning you with the knowledge that you can't live up to it. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, and it feels like slavery, And it makes you absolutely frightened because you know you cannot keep the law of God. Read the chapter before, Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man I am, Paul said. That is the state of a person who knows God's law is good and right and realizes I can't keep it. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of that unrighteousness, the spirit of slavery 
That's his ministry to us. It's miserable, like slavery, because you can't live up to God's standards. That's his ministry to you at first, the Holy Spirit. But once he gives life to your dead, rebellious soul, and theologians call that regeneration, rebirth, the same Holy Spirit applies to you the beauty of another ministry. This is the second ministry of the Holy Spirit in verse 15. He applies to you the ministry of adoption. And so Paul calls him the spirit of adoption. Why? Look at verse 16. The spirit himself, this is the ministry of adoption, by the spirit of adoption. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, meaning the spirit tells you in your soul that what? We are children of God. Now, in ancient Roman culture, adoption, legal adoption was a means by which you would make someone who is not your biological legal child your heir so that that person could inherit your estate and your belongings. Let's say Junior isn't living up to your expectations, and you need somebody who's going to carry on everything you've built up and, and all of your possessions and, and all of your property, um, and you adopt somebody to make them your legal child so that they can inherit. And this is really what Paul is saying God does for us. Changes our legal status so that we can inherit his kingdom. So once you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit reminds you that you belong to God because of this new identity that you have been gifted. This is what I meant earlier, where this identity of being a child of God is not in, it's not something we earn or work for. It's something that God gifts to us by his grace, his grace, his undeserved love and favor upon us because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's what all the beginning chapters of Romans are all about. God has a gift, and it's the righteousness of Jesus that he attributes to you if you have faith in his son. Okay, so by remembering the beauty and the permanency of this new status, we experience freedom. Not just by reading about it, but when you really discover that this is you, that you're a daughter, you're a son, you're a child, you're an heir. Now the door is open to living a life of freedom and not slavery where you're always trying to prove yourself, you're always trying to win, you're always trying to earn your way. Knowing that you're his son or his daughter, that gives you freedom. Abba, that Aramaic word, it was a term of endearment. I, I, I said that recently. Intimacy with God, like, like daddy or, or papa, something like that. Um, the movie, this is about 20 years old now, the Royal, uh, Ro uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, I don't recommend you see it, I happen to like it. Um, Royal is this old man who realizes he's botched up, he's divorced, he's alienated from his adult children. He's realized at the end of his life that he's botched everything up and he, he wants to earn their favor back. He's trying, he's trying to make things right, but they hate him. And um, his daughter, Margot, the reason she can't stand him is she remembers when she was a kid, she was adopted. When she was a kid, Royal would always introduce her as my adopted daughter, Margot. Yeah. Hi, well, I want you to meet my adopted daughter, Margot. And it drove her crazy. Why? Because she never felt like she was really a part of the family. 
She would always remember she in some way didn't belong. Now, that's a spirit of slavery. That feeling that it doesn't matter what you do, you don't belong. You can't earn your way into your father's affection. You're kind of around, you're in the house, but he keeps reminding you you're not legit. But that's not how God adopts us. Look at verse 17. What does it mean to be a child of God who's been adopted? It says you're an heir. You're an heir. And when the Holy Spirit tells you you're a child of God, Martin Luther says, this is the witness of the Spirit. Your sins are forgiven. That's what the Holy Spirit is reminding you of. Your sins are forgiven. They've been paid for by your big brother Jesus. Your heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. He will never cast you out. You're forgiven. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the Christian now. And we are told in verse 17 that that means that you are an heir. I'm messed up here. I don't know what, I don't know. There it is. Okay. Couldn't find the right slide. So Paul is saying adoption in the family of God means absolute equal status as a true child. What God has done cannot be undone, and you're his son. You're his daughter. No second tier. There's no illegitimacy now. You're equal status as a child. Isaac Watts, in one of, his, one of my favorite old hymns by Isaac Watts, My Shepherd Will Supply My Need, captures adoption beautifully. He sings, no more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you as a Christian. That is the ministry of the spirit of adoption. So you regain your courage or gather it against whatever you're afraid of, whatever your doubts are, you regain your courage. And to regain your courage, you need to remember you have a given, gifted status that you didn't earn and that you can't undo. That's where freedom starts, and that's where fear begins to peel away. Now, while this new status is free, and it is because it's a gift, The lifestyle it brings is costly. The status is free by the grace of God, but the lifestyle of a child, of an heir, is costly. It's good, but it's costly because your father has plans for you. He has plans for adopting you in to his household to manage his affairs and his estate. So the habits of God's children are to carry on the name of our father and to do his work, to carry on the family business. We reorient, we retrain ourselves with habits that focus on living up to our father's name and accomplishing his work and managing his his kingdom well. A property owner or somebody who's built up an entire franchise, they don't choose an heir who's going to undermine all of their work. They choose an heir who is going to promote the values and the mission of whatever they've developed or built, right? They they pick an heir who is going to carry it on well. So the Christian develops habits that promote God's purposes in the world, not hers, not his, 
God's purposes because you have equal status, but you're an heir. You're a child who is an heir. And so that's, that, you're under new management. And, and dad is your manager. And, and, and now you're living, your habits are now orienting yourself towards his purposes for your life and his purposes for our community and for the world. And that, that, right? Habits that promote God's agenda, that is, the gra- that is a great deterrent to fear. That fights fear because we know that God's purposes will succeed. You don't know if your purposes are going to succeed, but his will. So if we're working towards his purposes, there's a lot of confidence in that that fights our fear because God wins in the end. God is good. His love and justice will prevail at the end of history, and he will never leave you or forsake you in whatever we're struggling through right now. So living with habits that promote his purposes is actually a great antidote to our fear. We're afraid about our plans not succeeding, but God's are perfect, and that gives us confidence when we're in line with his purposes. This is why it's critical that we, as Paul said in verse 14, live by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's so critical that we live life led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The way he put it in his letter to the Galatians was, walk by the Spirit. It's so important that we do this. The uh, apologist and evangelist Francis Schaeffer said, the way he described living in the Spirit, life according to the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, he simply described it as doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. That's what we're doing, which is the very opposite of living by the flesh or walking according to the inclinations of our old nature. The oppositional creature within us that is opposed to God. That's living in the flesh, walking by the flesh. That's not doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. It's doing what we want to in our own way. But as God's children, as his heirs, we think, we speak, we act as guided by him. And where do we get his purposes from? The Holy Bible. We have true, as Francis Schaeffer, another phrase, true truth that we can rely on, that we can lean on, that we, the Spirit just, just doesn't say, you're a child of God and you're an heir. He, he gives us this, this witness from time, from history, that was authenticated by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is our guide. It's our guide for knowing the will of our Heavenly Father. So, The Proverbs, the teacher said in Proverbs chapter three, and and this is really what Paul is getting at when he says, live in the spirit, walk with the spirit, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Leaning on your own understanding is life in the flesh. It may not be bad. It may not be sinful. It may look good. It may make sense and people may agree with you. But leaning on your own understanding in any situation, and only your own understanding, is living in the flesh, is walking by the flesh. The teacher went on to say, be not wise, here it is again in a different way, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Ah, there's fear again. Okay, so the fear of God, only the fear of God breaks our fear of people. 
and our fear of circumstances. Only the fear of God. But don't get scared. It's not an ugly, nasty kind of fear. It's not an enemy that we're afraid of because that is slavery. No, we fear a loving Father whom the Spirit of God gives us permission to call Abba. Nobody's afraid of their Papa. Nobody's afraid of their Daddy. That's who we fear. That's who we revere. That's who we trust. That's who we lean on. So, if you are a Christian today, find confidence, find your courage, regain your courage in God's adoptive, unfailing love for you. Yeah, there are all sorts of important things we need to do. We need the right information so that we can make good decisions. We need to listen to one another to understand each other better, to understand our neighbors Of course, all of that is important, but fundamentally under all of it, you got to find your courage in the fact that God's adopted you. You're his. He loves you. You have a seat at his table. He's never going to kick you out of the house. It's all got to start there. And you will, with that frame of mind, you will do the Lord's work in the Lord's way because his plan will succeed and you'll be a part of it. Now, the, the child of God must habitually work against, so here's, a, here's an important habit, habitually work against an orphan mentality, as Jack Miller decades ago used to say. If you're a child of God, you always have to work against falling back into the mentality of thinking like an orphan. Because that's what the flesh does. That's how we think when we live by the flesh. The old person in you still doubts God. It doesn't trust God in an unpredictable world, in an unfair situation. The old you, living by the flesh, will never trust, let alone love, your heavenly Father. The flesh in us is like a trained orphan or a foster child who can't trust anybody. Why? For good reason. Because time and time again, they've been disappointed, they've been rejected, or even abused. And so the orphan mentality in relationship to God is hardened against his unconditional love. It is possible, now hear this, it is possible for a Christian to struggle getting beyond that orphan mentality. When we're weak, when we're weary, when we're not focused on the Holy Spirit, listening to him, reminding us of who we are, staying in God's word, allowing God's people to come alongside us and speak truth to us, even if it hurts. When we're living that way, even as Christians, we will keep reverting back to an orphan's way of thinking. It's possible. It's typical. And you're going to have to keep fighting against that maybe for the rest of your life. But you can overcome it. It is slavery. And the Bible says in many places, you shouldn't live like that anymore. It's not who you are anymore. It's what Paul describes in verse 15 as falling back into fear, where you can't trust. You can't trust God because you know yourself too well. 
This is how the orphan, so the orphan's mentality is how we unknowingly, unintentionally, unwittingly do the Lord's work in our own way. The pastor Ray Ortland talks about this. He goes, the biggest problem for the Christian is not intentionally doing our own work in the devil's way. It's, it's this tricky thing where we find that, or we don't even realize that we're doing the Lord's work in our own way. Think of the apostle, think of Peter in Matthew 16. Peter's like this, he gets, has this situation where uh, Jesus says, look, uh, I'm, I need to start thinking about getting to Jerusalem, the son of man. I have to suffer many things and, 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 be, and, and be killed. So do you remember what Peter said? He took Jesus aside. He thought he was doing the right thing. Peter was true to his, to his rabbi and, and he went to Jesus and he said, never, never, you suffer and die, never. It will never happen to you. I've got your back. I'm going to protect you. And you remember how Jesus responded to Peter who had good intentions? He said, get behind me, Satan. It's not that Peter was possessed. It's not that Satan, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then he said, why? Why? Because you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. Who was he talking to? Not Satan, Peter. Peter had the things of man in his mind and not the things of God. So what do we learn from that? Ray Ortland says, when we do the Lord's work in our own way, we unwittingly are working for Satan because our minds are on the fleshly way, the, the natural way of just doing things. And, and so we end up, uh, Roy or, uh, Ray Ortland says, we end up opposing God by doing his work in our own way. Orphans learn survival habits. They have to in this world, in a broken world. But in God's family, there's more for you than that. Orphans learn survival habits, but those habits are always motivated by fear. But the Christian can live differently. The Christian can live with assurance, with confidence. Nobody's forcing you to live that way. You still belong to Jesus. You still belong to God. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. But you don't have to live in that agony. You don't have to live in fear all the time. You can have assurance. You can have confidence that you'll never be abandoned by God. And this is the most critical thing that you need to know. We looked at Nehemiah a couple of weeks ago and his amazing leadership abilities for rebuilding and restoring. And we looked at, uh, at the book of Ezra and how the people were encouraged. They could rejoice and they could weep at the same time. That's reality, living in a broken world and trying to get through massive events like a pandemic and all the, the conflict that the world has been in and we've been in for the last year, right? But maybe more than anything, you need to know that a personal God who created all things and is good and will restore all things has adopted you and you're his. I think you need to know that. If you have been listening to nothing for the last month, hear this. God has adopted you. You're his daughter. You're his son. And he loves you. And, and, and if, my, if the only reason I'm here today is to remind you that God loves you, I can sleep at night. He loves you. He loves me. 
The reason you can have full confidence that God will not forsake you is because he cannot forsake you. And I don't mean he doesn't want to forsake you and he hopes he'll never forsake you. He cannot do it because it's against his own nature. He cannot forsake you. Why? Look at this. Mark 14. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, before, the, 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 the night before he was crucified, sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter and the guys were sleeping, couldn't stay awake. He's praying out to his heavenly father. This is the son of God. And he says, Abba, Father, there it is. This is why the Spirit speaks to us this way, because it's how Jesus talked to God. And if you've been saved by Jesus, this is how you talk to God. The same relationship is given to you. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus did the Lord's work in the Lord's way by going to the cross for us, even though it petrified him. It wasn't the nails and the humiliation. It was for the first time ever being separated from that, that unity with his heavenly father as a human being, right? The second person of the Trinity as a human being was petrified of being rejected by his heavenly father. That's, what, that's why he didn't want to go through it, but he did the Lord's work in the Lord's way and accomplished your salvation. So the assurance that you are not and will never be forsaken is because Jesus was. In that moment when he cried out on the cross before he died, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was bearing your sins, rejected once for all by the Father so that we would never have to be. God's love and his justice require that because Christ was rejected for your sin, you never will be. So, with blood-purchased seats at the table, you're a child of God. And you can have confidence. And that confidence drowns our fears and doubts. But we have to make it a habit to listen to the spirit of adoption who reminds us of this. His adoptive love helps us recover from our fears and from our doubts. And sometimes we need counseling or we need encouragement or we need rebuking, you know, like, like tough love to learn how to hear his voice and apply it to the specific ways that we're thinking like orphans. In the... Sixth century BC, after the 70 year exile, when some of the Jews started returning to Jerusalem and to Judah and they started rebuilding the temple. And you remember from last week, it took them like 20 years to build this thing because they kept stopping, because they had enemies in the region and they were discouraged. But through the prophet Haggai, the Lord said this while they just sat in their houses and were worried and afraid and the temple wasn't being rebuilt. God said to them, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. Listen to that. That's a great recovery model. Motto, work. Get up, get off the bed, get off the couch, get back into things and work. Why? 
because I am with you. He said to them, my spirit remains in your midst. They didn't have a temple, but they had God. We don't have lots of things, but we have his spirit, something they never had, his spirit indwelling us, reminding us we're children of God. Fear not. So let's find our courage. Let's gather our confidence in, not ourselves, in God's adoptive, unfailing love for us. We can recover, and we will. And we can serve, and we will. Each other and our neighbors and this town and this county, we will, but with confidence that God's plans will succeed. And we're gonna do the Lord's work in the Lord's way because the Spirit of God tells us, as the prophet Haggai said, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we, we are quiet in your love over us. As the prophet Zephaniah told us that you rejoice over us with singing. May we hear that. May we hear your joy singing over us. Your banner over us is love. Oh, what love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. Father, you have given us a spirit of adoption, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind because of what your son did. Help us to remember above all things that we're your sons and daughters and help us to get specific, Lord. Help us to apply that adoption status to everything we're struggling with, whatever we're afraid of, whomever we're afraid of, whatever the obstacles before us. Help us to gather our courage and to, and, and to gather confidence and to encourage each other wherever, we're, wherever we are in the stages of recovery. Help us to remind one another of your adoptive love. And Father, if there's somebody here now or somebody listening online who doesn't believe or know or is not yet your adopted child, Father, communicate to them your grace, your goodness, your unfailing trustworthiness. Thank you that Jesus has proved to us that you are all those things. In his name, amen.